0: Glad to see you. We're we're still making our way through the New Testament book of Romans, and if you're visiting, we we started back on this at the beginning of the year, you know, back at the um, first chapter, and are pressing on. And we're in chapter eight. And I, you know, I just have said this week after week. We never want to put one book of the Bible over the others, or one chapter over the others. But a lot of people have said that this chapter is just—it's as rich as they know of any one chapter. In the Bible. Um, I remember when I was a new Christian, the first time I read Romans 8, going to find a a close friend of mine who had become a Christian about a year earlier to talk about this stuff that I had never read before. So um, we're we're deep into it. We're just going to look at two verses and it's there in your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow there. But let me do something I don't normally do. I, I try to Warm us up to the passage, and not just throw a lot of teaching at you on the front end. But let me be a little bit more teachy before I start the passage. Um, you know, just in, in the way language works is typically there's not just one word in a language for some concept or some action. There's probably a you know, typically there's a there's a host of words you can use. In English, if you wanted to say "help" as a verb, you know, you could say "help" or "assist." or aid, or come alongside, or just, you know, look up in a thesaurus, you could find all the things you could say. And in the language that the New Testament was written in, Koine Greek, it's, it's the same way. There's multiple ways to express all kinds of things. There's multiple ways to say that you, you help someone. And when I read this passage at the, at the beginning of the reading, you're going to hear the word help. And this is one of two places in the New Testament where this particular Greek word, this verb, for helping shows up. There's just two. This one. And the other one is in the Gospel of Luke. Now, I'm not going to preach two sermons, but just to, to give you a, a taste of it. It's in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus was over at the home of Lazarus's sisters. And this is the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. Famous, famous account. Mary and Martha had Jesus over and so Jesus was teaching and um, Lazarus' sister Mary was sitting at his feet and just, you know, for no extra charge. That's a huge deal because in that time, in that place, women did not sit at the feet of a rabbi like disciples. So what she's doing is somewhat revolutionary and Jesus is, is only encouraging it. So Mary is sitting and listening to him and Martha is doing all the kitchen stuff. And, uh, you know, this is pre-electricity, pre-appliances, so you can imagine what it's like to just wash everything by hand and keep the fire tended and, and uh, j- just, you know, hands on. And Mary's not helping her like she normally would in that cultural setting. And so she, Martha goes over to Jesus and says, Lord, she's, don't you care that she's left me everything to do? Tell her to help me. Now, that doesn't tell you everything about that, that verb, but that's a little window into what this word means. It's, it's a word that's not like help in some abstract sense. You know, this is not like a, you know, call me if I can ever do anything for you. This is, I'm doing very tangible things. I'm doing real life things and I need help. And I wouldn't want to put words in, you know, in Martha's lips. I don't know how she felt except that she was exasperated. But I think, you know, she would say, look, Lord Jesus, I, I'm all about this. I mean, we had you over, we wanted you to teach. I'm so glad this is going on. I need help over here if this is going to go on. In our setting, I mean, you may be here this morning, <clears throat> and I, I would not want to put words in your mouth, but you, you may feel like, okay, look, I, I'm glad for this. I'm here this morning. It's beautiful. I could be somewhere else. I could be sleeping, but I'm here this is great. But I could tell you that I'm hurting in a lot of ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm weak. And I'm run down. And I need help. And I don't need help in some abstract way. I need help. And I, I want you to listen to how Paul describes how God helps His people. And, now keep in mind, Romans is not written... <clears throat> to just generic people about generic realities. It is written to Christians, and he's speaking to Christians as brothers and sisters about what does God, as our great God and Savior, what does He do to help us? Romans 8, beginning in verse 26. Now keep in mind, this chapter has said a ton about the Holy Spirit, all these things, the, Holy, the third person of the Trinity, these things He does for His people So the first word you get here is likewise. In other words, here's something else he does. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we would uh, say before you what your word has already acknowledged about us, and that is that we're weak. And maybe we're here this morning and we don't feel that. We might feel very up and very secure and very stable. But it may be that we, we feel very weak in our bodies or our emotions, or in our families, or in our finances. Whatever state we come, O oh Lord, we thank you that you know us, and you welcome us, and we pray that you would speak from your word, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. That's amazing. There's a cup of water. Just, that was seamless, whoever did that. Was that an angel? There was that supernatural or was that through natural means? I don't know. I feel like I need water. I, like, I kind of feel like I'm a high maintenance pastor in a lot of ways. <laughs> I don't think my childhood pastor ever needed as many cups of water as I've needed just in my little time here. So just uh, do with that what you will. All right. I, I, wa- I want you to think about how this passage started that Paul talks about human weakness and really not just human weakness, but Christian weakness. And I want you to notice the, the pronouns and, and the, the, the grammar. He's not speaking in second person. You know, the, the Spirit helps you, Roman Christian peons, you know, in, in your weakness. It's first person. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. This, this is our experience as normal Christian people. So let's look at the passage that way. Let's look in terms of the ones who need help, i.e., us, Christians. And then second, the one who helps. Okay, The ones who need the help and the ones who help. All right, First off, the ones who need help, what, what does he say first? Verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now we could all tell our tales this morning about what weakness looks like in our lives or where you're really feeling it right now. It may be physical. Yeah, you may be sick. You may be um, going through something where you're just more, you're just physically, noticeably weaker. It could be emotional, that you used to feel very stable, and you felt like your feet were under you, and you felt, you know, usually up, and you're very down. We could just list all our, you know, there's different ways to be weak. But Paul highlights, there's, there's a particular thing he's talking about when he says weakness. It's a particular way that being weak shows itself in the lives of Christians. So what does he say? All right, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That this way that he's talking about of being weak is not knowing the right way to pray. Now, why would it be that So often, Christians who are wanting, they're wanting to talk to God, they're wanting to pray, that we don't know how to pray as we ought. And it's just, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but let's think of of just a few. Number one, we don't know what all God is up to. And you know, and I've mentioned this before, and this has been pointed out to me that that I think it's wise for us to be careful about throwing out these kind of blanket opinions about, well, what I think God is doing here is. You know, this set of circumstances happened or um, I kind of watched this thing that seemed like a coincidence and I kind of get up over it and say, well, what I think God is doing, we, we need to really be careful with that. That can actually be a way to take God's name in vain because we don't know, we don't know what He's up to. He's God and, uh, and His ways are not our ways. and Our thoughts are not His thoughts. So sometimes we don't know how to pray because we don't know what He's doing in that situation that we want to pray about. And also, you know, we just usually don't have all the facts. For instance, it could be that you're in a work situation and there's a particular person where you work that makes it so incredibly discouraging. It could be coworker, could be manager, owner, but it's just it's so discouraging. This person is the reason that you... <clears throat> kind of get a knot in your stomach on the way to work. And so, obviously, that's something that we would want to pray about. But even as you're praying, you may be aware that, in our better moments, that I don't know what all is going on in his or her life as to why they would act this way at work, as to why they would respond to me this way, so we don't know how to pray. Now, let's think about this in the context of the first people that read this letter. the, The original recipients are Christians in Rome, and scholars put the date of the writing at about 57 AD, which would mean that the recipients of what we call the book of Romans were being ruled over by Nero. Now, his name has already come up as we've been going through Romans, but if you know anything about him, he was a monster, particularly to Christians. Uh, let's think about the first people that read this letter, and they've actually experienced persecution. And as the years go on, they're going to watch people be martyred. They're going to watch people actually be lit on fire. They're going to watch people uh, be given to the beast at the Colosseum. How do you pray for that? Do you pray, Lord, take away the persecution so that I don't have to die unnaturally, so that my children don't ever have to be martyred? Or do you pray, Lord, use this persecution, use this suffering to spread the good news? And man, history bears that out. If you you want to uh, stop Christianity, don't persecute it. And whatever you do, don't don't kill anybody. Because then it really starts to spread. In fact, if you want to kill it, make it the state church. How do you pray? End it, God, or don't end it, God? That was their context. Think about ours. Let's say that you are one of these people who is in a real health crisis right now. Or someone you really love is very, very sick. And let's say that person that you're praying for um, is a Christian. How do you pray for them? Do you pray, God, take away the thing that's hurting me or hurting that person? Relieve their suffering. Relieve their pain. Or do you pray, Lord... Use this sickness, use this suffering for their good and for the good of all those who are watching. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon that I'll, I'll uh, see some post about somebody's blog, or somebody will send me a link to somebody's blog, or maybe something from Caring Bridge, you know, where a Christian is going through acute sickness, or terminal illness, or cancer, and they're honoring God in the way that they're suffering and they're worshiping Him in the midst of it, and, and it impacts people who see this and read it. So, so how do you pray? Do you say, God, just totally take that out of their lives, or let it be there and use that? And have you ever felt this? That we don't know how to pray. What about if you're in business, and you pray about just things like making money? You don't have to be in business to be making money, but let's say like, you, you really are trying to work on something that could generate quite a bit of profit should you pray that your business go well so that you do generate a lot of profit? I mean, think about it. A Christian could be sitting there thinking, well, if God blessed this business deal and I made a bunch more money, then I could really like, do a lot of wonderful things for people. I could give more. I could be more generous. I could uh, help finance things for the kingdom. But then that same Christian might say, hey, but wait a minute. You know, the Bible says that the heart is very sneaky. And is uh, wicked. And so maybe right now I'm just pulling a judo move on myself because what I really want are nicer vacations and a different house and a different car. And yeah, I'll cut some checks for some pretty cool stuff on the side. But like that's what I really want and I'm just kind of trying to spiritualize it. I mean, you can just kind of go on the merry-go-round about that. That we don't know how to pray in our weakness. And before we go to this next part, I I, I want you to think about this that just even from what we've read so far, here's what we know, that God doesn't resent His people being weak. He's not angry at us for being weak. And that's a big deal. Um, there's Psalm 103, it's a great psalm. One of the things that psalm says is that God, He knows our frame. Our, that means just kind of our physical mortal existence. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He understands our weakness more than we understand our weakness and He's not angry about it. I mean, it's possible, as weird as it is to to, to say this, it's possible that we are being harder on ourselves about being weak than, than He would ever be. He helps the weak he helps the people who say, I don't know even how to talk to God about this right now. And what is that very different then? Well, God helps the weak. God helps those who don't know what to say. That is about 180 degrees different than what? Then God helps those who help themselves, which the Bible never says. We're the ones who need the help. What about the one who helps? Let's talk about Him. Um... If, if you have, haven't been coming, or if you have, this is review. Chapter 8, we've just gotten a ton about the Holy Spirit. This is not generic human spirit or kind of a generic divine spirit. This is the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. What do we see about Him as to, the, as, as to how He's the helper? Right, first off, The Spirit is the one who knows us. He knows our insides because He occupies us. He inhabits us. Back in verse 9 of this chapter, Paul said, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. There's not two tiers of Christianity. There's not two tracks. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've been saved, The third person of the Trinity makes you His temple. And as I say, I think about every week, He's not an it. He's a he. He's a person, okay? Now, okay, so what that He knows us? Think about this. Um, I I heard somebody say that they think the loneliest verse in the Bible is one of the Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's Proverbs 14.10, and it says this, that... Uh, the heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. What does that mean? It means think about if, if there's just something you, you want to get out and be understood about, and so maybe you've got a great friend who would just like really sit down with you and really listen. And not rush you. And they'll just say, okay, like, I'm here and I want to hear what's going on with you. And they're going to listen as long as you talk. And those don't grow on trees. So if you have that, thank the Lord. So let's say you you try to get out. And it may be that you're trying to get out a, a real joy, a real high. It could be a real downer. No one can totally get it. Have you felt this before? like something that's so important to you. I need need to be understood. I need to express this. And even someone who loves you and is trying to listen and understand can't totally get it. Why? Because they're dependent on your ability to verbalize it, to articulate it. You know, you can find the greatest counselor in the world to sit down with, and you can fork out whatever that person charges. But at the end of the day... This is going to go as well as you're able to say your insides. This person said that it's a lonely verse. Now, think about that, but then think about this. Weird example. Okay, disclaimer, weird example. What if, with your permission, you gave me, um, yeah, you gave me permission to come to your house in the dead of night with all the lights off, and to see how well I could navigate through your house without a flashlight. So I went first, and then you went. Now what would happen? Every time, you would just kill me on that. Because, same house, same obstacles, same level of darkness, same absence of light. You know the layout, you know? Like, I could be going down this corridor And I just think it's a quarter, but you know there's this little table there, so you kind of shimmy to the left. I don't know to shimmy, and so I hit it. Because you know the house. You know the insides of the house. All right, now think about this. The heart knows its own bitterness. No stranger shares its joy. But the Spirit of God lives inside us. He knows all the rooms and all the halls and all the furniture whether it's light or dark. He knows our insides. Uh, this may be old information to you. This may be the first time you've ever heard this. The New Testament says that Christians, both corporately, all together, and individually, are the temple of the living God. All right, so first off, He knows us. But the Holy Spirit also knows the will of God. He knows what God wants. He knows what God wills. Look in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For some of you, this will be repetitive. But I just... I've got to go over this over again and again. In Christianity, and I would say especially in Protestant Christianity, we talk a lot about the Father. And we talk a whole bunch about the Son. And no apologies for either one of those. But the Spirit is fully God. And I, don't, I don't know if you noticed the quote on the front of the bulletin from the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is adhered to by all kinds of different Christians all over the world for over a millennium and a half. What does it say about the Holy Spirit? With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. Our catechism says that He is the same in substance. We could say godness. And He's equal in power and glory to the Father and the Son. Why does God the Spirit know the will of God? Because He is God. God the Spirit is completely on the same page with God the Father. And God the Father is completely on the same page with God the Spirit. And the Spirit lives in us. He knows us, knows all the corridors, knows all the nooks and crannies... And He knows the Father and the Son, and He knows the will of the Father and the Son. So what does He do with all that? He knows us. He knows the Father and the Son. So He knows how to pray for us. Now, what does that look like? It's intercession. What's intercession? Intercession is, is being a go-between and going to bat for someone between two parties. Who are the two parties? Well, He's interceding for us with the Father. How does He do it? He groans. He groans. Now, I don't know if you were here last week, but if you were here for Tim's sermon on the passage right before this, when you hear groanings, that should go ding, 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 ding. Because the passage last week talked about groanings. What did it say? He said, the world is so broken, the creation is so fallen. I mean, it's amazing. It's been a beautiful weekend. A lot of beauty. A lot of order. But it's fallen. That the trees and the animals and the waters and the skies, they know that they're not what they ought to be. And and we can't hear it, but they groan. It's not just that they groan. We groan. You know, Christians groan as they look at, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be or what I wish I were. And I groan. When do you groan over hard things? It's when you're emotionally invested. Right? This is not a sigh. You groan when you're emotionally invested. You groan... When you get awful news about someone that you really care about, you groan. And what does this text say? It's not just that the universe groans or that fallen people groan, but God groans. The Spirit of God groans to the Father. And it says in verse 27, "...the Spirit intercedes for the saints." Uh, excuse me, in verse 26, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And that phrase, too deep for words, is just a translation of one Greek word. It just means wordless, without utterance. And I, and I, I said this at the 830 service. It was interesting in working on this passage for this week to see how Christians ancient and Christians medieval and Christians much more uh, contemporary, have, have, they have struggled to concede what the text is saying. Uh, they've said things like, well, it's not that God's actually groaning. God would not groan. What He's doing is He's moving inside a Christian to groan about things. And Paul's calling that the groaning of the Spirit. That is not what the text says. The text says that the Spirit God Himself, He, for us, groans without using words. You know, I don't know how to pray about this illness. I'm going to take a stab at it, but I'm not sure that I'm even asking the right thing. And He groans to the Father. Um, There's things about this relationship that I think are good. There are things about this relationship that I think are not good. Maybe, I don't know whether to stay in it or not. I don't know whether to pursue this person or not. I'm not even, I'm so emotionally wrapped around the axle about it, I don't know how to pray about it anymore. And He groans for us. How does it help us to know that God would groan without words for people like us? And as I thought about this, I thought back on something that um, happened early in, in uh, mine and Dana's marriage. And I asked her if I could, if I could share this, and she said I could. Um, our first pregnancy, uh, we experienced miscarriage, as many of, of, of uh, you have. And uh, we, we were in Mississippi, uh, in our church there, and there was a, there was a wonderful couple... The husband had cerebral palsy, and uh, just as long as I've known him, he's always been in a wheelchair, can only get around with a wheelchair, and just, just very contorted in his motions, is always sort of in motion, and the way he speaks is very belabored. You can understand him, but it really takes work. And uh, he and his wife were just always very, very kind to us, and he's an amazing guy. He got a PhD in his field and was on staff with the university very extroverted sports maniac. I don't know what he's doing right now with Mississippi State's ranking in football, which is this is the first thing I've said about that, by the way. <laughs> Moving on. But he must be going just nuts about it. Um, but, uh, but his wife told me, you know, we didn't broadcast our news to everybody, but, but some friends found out about it. And his, um, he, his wife told me, that when he found out about our experience, she said he was so upset he could not even talk about it. Now, here's this guy with such pronounced physical problems and so much physical ordeal to go through. For him to go to a sports game is so much different than us going to a game. And his response to our suffering was no words. And his no words made a huge impact on me. And I thought about what was the impact. I I would describe it as it was humbling. It was humbling for him to hurt for us like that in light of what he has to go through. And it was endearing like, I don't have to wonder if He cares about us. Could we apply that same template to the Trinity? That we're talking about God. He's God. He doesn't have to like us. He doesn't have to notice and care about these little light and momentary afflictions in our lives, but He does. Because love is not something that He does sporadically. He is love. It's humbling, if we'll hear it. That He cares about my job. That He groans about my disappointments. He groans about my loneliness. Are there not bigger concerns in the universe than my loneliness, but He groans. But it's endearing that we don't just love Him and worship Him because He's big, although He is. Or we don't just worship Him because He made us, although He did. But that He loves us like that. There is no other God like that. He loves us in our weakness. This is a God who doesn't resent that we're weak people. He loves us so much that He became a weak person to substitute for the weak, that one day our life may not be like this. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that You are love. And we praise you that in love you sent your Son, and that, Lord Jesus, for us you became weak. And we thank you and we praise you, Spirit, that as we are weak, that you you know us and you do not resent our weakness, and you know just the right thing to pray, and you groan it wordlessly. Please continue to do so even today, for the thing that is heavy on our hearts, but also for the needs that we don't even know about ourselves, grown for us and intercede for us. And Father, continue to work in our lives in your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.